Lord, would you open your word to us this morning, open our hearts for what you have to show us, to free us from, to call us into. Holy Spirit, just have your way. This time is yours, this space is yours, this church is yours. Do as you will, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a mere stool. So, those of you who are seeing this slide on the screen here and thinking, wait a minute, we did that already. You are right. Uh, the, the talk that I have for you today is kind of a little bit of an encore of this series that we finished before Lent. Um, it's, we wanted this to be in that series and just the way that, that Lent and Easter fell, we kind of ran out of time, but it's something really important we want to circle back around and hit. Um, today we are, you're going to be so excited about this topic, um, we're talking about money and finances. Yay! Yeah, right. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's, I know this is everyone's favorite topic, right? Um, there's two main things that I want to do this morning. Uh, one of them has to do with this everything on the table. Uh, this series that we did was all about taking the things in our lives that maybe sometimes we kind of hold too tightly in our fists, um, not let the Lord have his way in them, maybe not allow him to, to speak to them the way that he wants to or whatever. Um, so the first part of what we're going to do today is, is we're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about um, our money, our finances, our heart towards them, our relationship with them. Um, we're going to talk about our values and our priorities as followers, or, uh, followers of Jesus where our money is concerned. And then the second half, we're actually going to do um, kind of a quick debrief of church finances. So if you're, if you're visiting with us this morning, um, you know, the first part would definitely be relevant to you. Um, uh, like I feel like I need to kind of apologize for the second part. It won't be very long. Um, you, I'm not going to go into a ton of detail. And uh, I really want to assure you right up front that this talk is not reactionary in any way whatsoever. Um, this is not like oh shoot, COVID tanked our bank account. This isn't, oh, people aren't giving. This isn't, you know, there's not enough people giving or people aren't giving, none, none of that. This has nothing to do with any of that. Because um, in general, this church is actually a pretty consistently generous, faithful, giving church. Um, but we still want to be thorough in, in our preaching of the word, um, in the things that we talk about. Um, and it, you know, if we avoid this topic, uh, we're, we're really doing a disservice to all of us. Um, even, even given that many of you are incredibly regularly generous, we need to go back and remember why we give at all. Has it become something that we just do out of habit, you know, like paying the bills or whatever? Because if it has, there's still work that needs to be done in our hearts. Um, and so we want to be faithful to look at those things and still teach on those things. And we also want to be transparent because when you give your money to this church, I, we want you to know what it's going to. That's, so that's the second half of this talk. When you give your money, we want you to know how it's being spent, how we believe that the Lord has called us to prioritize our budget and our finances and those kinds of things. And we want to be here. You know, normally we don't have like a question and answer session um, in a sermon, but if you have questions at the end, I'm, I'm happy to answer those. And I don't have my laptop here today because it dies like 10 minutes after I unplug it. Um, that's another issue in finances board. We got to get that laptop. Um, <laughs> but 
but it, you know, if I can't answer it off the top of my head, most things I probably can. Um, but if I can't, I'll find the answer for you. Because um, we want to be transparent in those things. When you, when you give your finances and your hard-earned money to the church, we want you to feel confident that it is being used in a godly way. So that's what we're going to do. Um, you know, along with, with the disclaimer that this is not a reactionary talk, um, I just want to acknowledge that this is like no one's favorite sermon topic, pastors included, okay? Like, this is what I get paid for, which is the only reason I'm up here doing this talk. Like, <laughs> because like nobody like, like we do a sermon series and nobody's like, oh, I want to talk about money. Like, that's not a thing. Um, there's just so many landmines, aren't there? Like, isn't this a topic that can just go south really fast? Can we just acknowledge that? You know, it's hard. It's, it feels icky. Like, how many times have we had conversations with people that left churches because all that, all that church ever does is talk about money. All they ever do is want me to give all my money. Right? Like, we, we've all seen that. We've all been there. Right? Um, so this is nobody's favorite topic, and it's okay. We're, we're all <laughs> in, the same, in the same boat there. I just want to acknowledge in that that some of you may have come through times and places where you have been manipulated by spiritual leaders in the area of finance and money. And I am really sorry for that. That was wrong. That should not have happened. And so I know that some of you might be sitting here with a, an anxiety already building because of an experience that you've had before. And I'm very sorry for that. It was, it was wrong if you were manipulated. And I hope that this conversation will help in that. Save that for ministry time. If that's you, please get prayer for that, okay? Because God wants us to be free in this area, okay? You know, I, I realize that um, there's a lot of churches that have full-time pastors and staff, and I cannot imagine the pressure that those pastors feel who have no other source of income. We don't have that situation in this church. Um, and, and we'll talk about this more in our, our financial debrief at the second half. Um, we don't have that situation in our church. Josh, who is uh, one of our, our co-pastors. By the way, hi, my name's Leah. I'm one of the pastors here. I go with him. Um, he, he has a full-time nine-to-five secular job. And it pays the bills for our family. And so he doesn't get, oh, that is a lot better. He doesn't get paid <laughs> by the church at all. And so our family doesn't have that pressure of, you know, having to get all of our finances from the church. I'm so grateful to the Lord for that. He actually called Josh to be a Christian businessman and do this this way. Um, and I'm so thankful because I can't imagine the pressure on pastors who have to plant a church and get all of their, their finances from the church and what temptations that must bring to put pressure on giving and put pressure on building numbers in a church. And by the grace of God, we, we don't have that. So we'll talk about more that more when we get to the, uh, the financial, the church financial side. Um, but, you know, there's also this deal where, where money and finances is like this really sacred kind of private thing in our culture, isn't it? Like we don't ask people how much they make. We don't ask them how much they spent on that house or that new car or that vacation. Like that's just a really taboo thing. And we don't do that. We, we went to, took a missions trip to... Uh, Nicaragua one time and I was just amazed at how they did the offering there it was right center up front it was just a this beautiful part of their worship but the American Christian in me got really uncomfortable with it 
because it was so in the open. I'm like, ooh, we don't, that, you don't do that. Like that's, ooh, you don't touch that. Um, so, so we're already dealing with these cultural things surrounding the topic of money. And, and you know, the topic of finances, it's, it's something that just elicits such strong emotions for so many people. Because if you think about it, you know, for many, the state of their finances is the main thing that determines whether they feel secure or unstable. Unstable, one of those. You know, and what a pressure, right? And so if someone is already anxious about, you know, being able to pay this month's rent, how much more so is, is a talk like this going to do that? So I, I just want to acknowledge those things and just say that, that we're coming at this to the best of our ability from a biblical godly perspective. Um, and, and this isn't reactionary in any way to manipulate anything. We just feel like it's a part of our discipleship. It's a part of a necessary um, growing in our faith and sanctification. And it's necessary as a church that we talk about this. In 2018... There was a survey done by Ramsey Solutions, which is the parent company of like Dave Ramsey stuff, you know, all the, um, uh, the budgeting stuff and all that. And that survey found that arguments about money were the second leading cause of divorce in the U.S. Not only that, my generation, Josh and my generation, the Gen Xers that kind of born right around the, the, the 19 late 1970s to early 1980s. In our generation, 40% of those people who got divorced did so because of a conflict around finances. What an amazing, let's just call it a stronghold, that the topic of money has on us to tear apart our marriages and our families. And so we want to come at this from a different direction. For the Christian, there is a biblically prescribed way to both to relate to our money and how we manage it. And so that's what we want to do this morning. This morning, I want to do what I can to help ensure that both the way that we handle money as a church and the way that we handle money as individuals and as families is based on wisdom that is coupled with generosity and that it doesn't just like ebb and flow with the state of our bank account. Because that's a, again, that's a reactionary thing. Okay, we don't want our generosity or our wisdom to be based on the current financial status of any of that stuff. You know, we want to first be established in our values and our priorities in this area in regards to money and the role of money and not be reactionary to whatever the QuickBooks reports say for the church, to whatever's in our bank accounts, to whatever the needs are, honestly, um, or any of that stuff, or even like what the news is saying right now. Oh, you know, news that's like this fear-based thing, like, oh, there's this recession coming everybody panic. I don't think believers who are following the Lord need to fear those sort of things. I think we can still arrive at them with wisdom and generosity. And so when that's our mindset, that we're first going to establish our values and priorities and then work out of that instead of being reactionary to circumstances, even in times of abundance, we're still going to be able to be wise. And even in times of scarcity, we're still going to be able to be generous. And that's our goal. All right. Now, I, I just want to assure you, and I, I've said this, but I don't, I, I just want to keep getting it out there, that this sermon is in no way a tactic to just give you, to get you to give more, necessarily. I mean, that's not my thing is like, okay, at the end of the sermon, I want like giving to increase by 30% or something like that. You need to let the Lord do what he's going to do. You know, that's, that's not on me. 
Um, so that is not my goal at all. You're actually going to discover this morning, um, this may be the first sermon you, about money you've ever heard where tithing wasn't the focus. I'm actually really not going to talk about tithing that much. Um, and that tithing, just for those of you maybe who aren't familiar with that, that's, that's the idea of giving a tenth of our income. Um, it is established in the Old Testament, you know, when they were giving like livestock and grain and plus money and all those things. Um, but I'm not really going to focus on that. I, I, it's not, I'm trying to find a good way to say this, because it's not that I don't believe that's a biblical standard. I do believe it is. And I actually think that Jesus reaffirms that standard in Luke 11. So I don't think it's antiquated. I don't think it's out of date. But I want this to be because generosity is a product of the work of the Spirit in us and not a legalistic rule. Does that make sense? All right. If we're giving 10%, I want it to be because our hearts are for that, not because there's a rule about that. Okay. And so I want us to understand the heart of God in this area. And I trust the Holy Spirit to speak to each of you about what generosity is for you and what that looks like. All right. So let's just begin uh, by building on the foundation of James 1, 16 through 17, that says this, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. This is the very first thing that we have to get. In order to have a biblical worldview on this, we must first realize that God and God alone is our source. It is him that is our provider. He is the one who gives us everything that we need. Every good gift we receive, every paycheck we cash, every blessing we experience, all of that is because he is a good father that knows how to give good gifts to his children. He is our source. If we don't establish our financials perspectives on this truth that God is our provider, being generous, tithing a 10% or whatever, being wise stewards, it's going to be really difficult for us and probably legalistic. But we have to realize that he is our source. Withholding from God, now I know that that word is, is kind of a triggering word, but withholding from God what it is that he requires of us as far as generosity goes. <clears throat> Would one of you mind grabbing me a bottle of water, please? Sorry, I kind of did it, overdid it working in the yard yesterday and some of the COVID residual stuff from several weeks ago has come back up and it's, it's messing with me. Withholding from God what he has required of us, the things that already belong to him anyway, reveals a heart motive that we think we are in charge of making sure we have enough. And I want you to hear that that's a deceived way of thinking. We are not our own masters. We are not our own Lord. It's poison to our hearts to do that. And really, it's idolatry. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. It's idolatry because when we put ourselves in that place of being our own providers, we're putting ourselves in the place of God's sovereignty in this area. We, th we can't think that we are the master and owner of everything when he is our provider and he is our source. Remember back in Exodus when the Israelites were wandering in the desert and God kept giving them all that weird like bread stuff overnight from the sky, the manna, the what's it, what is this stuff? 
that shows up like on the ground every night. And remember what he told him to do? Go out every day and collect enough for that day. Don't store up extra for yourself. Don't hoard for yourself. Just that day. Now why on earth would he do that? It was a lesson to them in I am your provider and I'm your provider every day. You don't have to take the abundance of today and store and hoard up for yourself for tomorrow because I'm going to be your provider tomorrow too. And for years and years and years, it taught them to trust him every single day. Give us this day our daily bread. To trust him with that every single day, not themselves as God is their source. Now on the flip side, when we do believe and acknowledge that God is our provider, um, instead of our generosity being this reactionary thing that we've already talked about, a function of what's in our bank account or whatever, it's this beautiful thing that happens where our generosity becomes a response to God's goodness, to his faithfulness to us, to his provision for us, to his generosity towards us. And we do that then in response to him as worship, not as legalism, not as obligation. You've probably noticed that we don't pass an offering plate here. Um, somebody, I feel like, made a, a comment about that this morning, which I, uh, during pre-service prayer or something, maybe? I can't remember. Yeah, announcements. That's right, yeah. Well, there's a value-based reason that we don't do that. We actually struggled with this for a long time when we first planted the church and had all sorts of other leaders be like, you got to get over that. You got you to gotta pass the basket. And we don't. We, we never have um, because we don't want anyone feeling coerced. We don't want anyone feeling like this thing is coming in front of me. This is what I have to do. But we provide the jar in the back, like Luke mentioned. Because what we hope to see, if, if you give that way, is that your giving is a function of your worship. And, and it's not out of pressure or coercion. Does that make sense? Now, I know that the way people give has changed a lot over the years, especially during COVID. You know, everything became electronic. So if you give that way, that's fine. That's great. I do hope when you do, you will pause for a moment and realize that you're not just clicking the button to send the check, that it's, Lord, this is my worship. This is part of my worship in response to your goodness and your faithfulness and your generosity towards me. So when we practice this kind of thing, when we practice this worshipful, generous, faithful kind of giving, um, we're really proclaiming our trust in God. That's what we're doing. It's an act of faith um, in God as our loving Father. And you know that, that verse where he clothes the lilies of the field, he makes sure the birds are fed. How much more so does he do that for his children that he loves? So that's where we're coming from. Let's look at Acts 2 real quick. I'm watching the time because the uh, pasta showed up super early this morning. Pasta for what? Uh, so <laughs> Adrian's like, we eaten? Uh, so for those of you who are coming to the Vineyard um, Connections class after this, that's what, and there's, there's some gluten-free available and everything, yeah, but um, Olive Garden was like super on it this morning, and <laughs> thank you, Jesus. See, he's a good provider, isn't he? <laughs> got the pasta. Um, yeah, they just, they just showed up super early this morning. And so I don't want you to all blame me when the noodles are cold or something. All right. Acts 2. Yeah, we have a microwave. That's right. Acts 2. We're going to go to verse 37 and read this little chunk here. Now this passage occurs right after Pentecost, which is that day where the Holy Spirit was poured out on all of God's people. They began speaking in tongues. All of these amazing things started happening. And so here we are. Uh, Peter had been preaching in the streets after the people saw this amazing demonstration of the Spirit's power. 
and he just gives like this really amazing, like forth, forthright, not forthcoming, in your face <laughs> kind of a uh, speech on on the gospel and who Jesus is and what he's done and that he is the Messiah. And then this is the passage that follows. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? As in, what shall we do in response to this message that Peter just gave? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let's see, where do I want to go down to? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I know that the most of that passage is not about money. But what I really wanted you to see here, first of all, this isn't like some sort of first century cult where no one was allowed to own their own stuff. You know, this idea of selling all your stuff and giving it to the group and everybody does this together. That's not the picture. It's also not like Jesus trying to institute socialism. Okay, I've heard that argument. That's nonsense. What this is, though, it's true. What this is, though, is a picture that we have here of a Christ-centered community. One in which people love each other, defer to each other, elevate each other above themselves, honor each other, serve each other. And it's a picture of what happens when radical generosity and giving flows not from coercion, but out of relationship with each other, not out of guilt or legalism, and from an equally radical conversion and salvation from Jesus. It's one from the other. The response that happened here was a radical transformation because they were saved and redeemed and joyous and their generosity flowed out of the joy that they had received God's salvation. And so that's the picture I want you to see here of this really beautiful community and how it looks when that's the response. Now, I want to jump over real quick um, I was debating whether to read this or not. Um, 2 Corinthians 9. Let's look at it really quickly. I know I'm kind of picking up the pace here. Pasta's waiting. I want to make sure I get to your... 2 Corinthians 9. Paul is writing this letter. Okay, He's in Macedonia, but he is preparing to receive what is apparently a very generous gift from this church. Okay, And it's substantial they've clearly sacrificed to give this and here is how he instructs them to prepare such a substantial significant sacrificial gift 
read through it really quickly with you. There was no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed to have been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you have promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things and in all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I'm going to stop right there. Now, here's the thing. I know that this passage has been used as a prosperity gospel many, many times. It's like this financial, spiritual tit for tat. You give more, you get more. Guys, that's karma. That's not kingdom, okay? It is a principle that, yes, if you give generously, there is something in return. But it's not a bigger paycheck, and it's not the boat, and it's not the nice SUV, and all that stuff, okay? That's not what Paul is saying here, all right? Paul is telling the Corinthian believers that this is not a financial quid pro quo. But their hearts of generosity are being displayed. That's what he's after. He's after their hearts. There is a sacrificial gift that they've been preparing. And he's telling them, look, not, not that they can expect some sort of like reciprocal financial affluence as a result, like they give more and they get more. But he's telling them what you get as a response to generosity and obedience is this harvest of kingdom works and righteousness. That's how this works. And he's going after their heart in this, not after their wallets. Because all of this is in turn going to point back, if you look down um, to verses 14 and 15, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Again, God is the source. He's not only the source of our provision, he's the source of our generosity. And Paul is going after their hearts because all of this is going to turn back in praise to the Father. And that's the point. It's kind of like the word Alan gave this morning. That when we experience this goodness and this joy and we express that outwardly, other people see that. And it results in this harvest of kingdom stuff happening and joy in this area. All right, so let me wrap up this part. Um, I, I really believe that the main thing that the Lord wants to, us to hear today in this part is that. It's about our hearts. It's not about the size of the gift. It's about our heart in giving whatever we give. And I want you to grasp that today. He wants our obedience, yes. He wants our generosity, yes. But he wants it to come from a heart that is fully his, that's responsive in worship to him. So I'm gonna leave you on this bit with just a few questions to kind of assess our heart condition in this, and then we're gonna come back to them for ministry. 
four things for you to kind of meditate on and consider as we finish the, the, the second half of this. Do we find ourselves trying to find alternate routes around giving? Which means, well, I don't give money, but well, I might give time, or I might drive someone somewhere, or I might, those are all great things. Just make sure that you're not using them to circumvent something that the Lord is calling you to. Number two, do we find ourselves trying to figure out the minimum amount? If you find yourself doing like way more accounting than seems necessary to your giving, maybe just check your heart. You know, what, what, what's your purpose in that? Are we legalistic about it? And we talked about this just a little bit, but I'll be honest, I used to be very, very legalistic in this way. You would have known to the penny how much my paycheck was because I just moved that decimal over and I didn't give a penny more. Now, that's not wrong, but the Lord convicted my heart and was like, why don't you just round up? Free yourself of this legalism to do a 10% down to the penny and don't worry about it. So it was my heart issue. It's not that doing that was wrong. It was where my heart was in the process. And lastly, do we satisfy ourselves with tokenism? Here's what I mean by that. Do we treat giving to the Lord like walking past the Salvation Army bucket at Christmas? Do we feel a guilt and a compulsion the louder that bell rings? And so do we just like drop in a fiver to assuage that guilt? It's not wrong to do that but are we doing it out of tokenism to alleviate some emotion that we're feeling? Does that make sense? Because if our giving isn't really proportional to our blessing and our means, we might be falling victim to tokenism. All right, so let's let those things marinate for a bit and let's move to the boring part. All right, just kidding. No, this is important. So here's why we do this, okay? This is pretty much the only time we ever talk about money in this church. Oh, I'm sitting on the cord. Sorry, my feet are killing me. Um, and it's maybe once a year, like at that, at best. Good grief. It's maybe once a year. This is really the only time we talk about it, but it's important, right? We are deficient if we don't cover it. We want to be transparent. It matters where your gifts go. It matters how we spend them because this is family business. And if you're part of the family, we help take out the trash, we help pay the bills, we help get people where they need to go, right? And so any family you're a part of, everybody needs to be on the same page with this stuff, right? There's not one person that owns this stuff. So we wanna share it with you, and I'm sorry if you find it boring or whatever, but we just think it's really important that you're in the loop on this stuff, that we're transparent with it. You know, sometimes you come from churches where you had no idea where the money came from or went. And, and we want to make sure we're transparent in those things, all right? So let me start with that first chart, whoever's got that. This is our 2022 budget expenses. So all the money that's given to the general fund offering, which is, you know, if you drop a check in the, in the tithe jar or you send it through bill pay and it's not earmarked for like a certain missions thing or the youth or whatever, it goes into this pot. And we, we set a budget, usually in November of every year, um, when our, our board gets together and we base our budget on actual giving. Every now and then we get real brave and maybe hope for a little bit of growth. But normally it's budgeted on actual giving. So here's this pie chart. That really large blue chunk on the right is our facilities. The vast majority of, majority of that is the rent that we pay for this building. 
Um, you know, ideally, we would really hope for that slice to be like 30% or less. Alas, we are in Holly Springs, North Carolina. <laughs> and you guys know how that is. The other reason that this is off skew is that green chunk right there. I mentioned earlier, Josh doesn't get paid by the church at all. So a lot of churches would have much more pastoral salary to shift the percentages, and, and we don't. Um, there are, speaking of payroll, there are three people who get paid by the church, all of them part-time. I'm one of them. I get paid for 20 hours a week. Jessica is another one, and Luke is another one. Jessica is our worship leader, and Luke is our youth pastor. Those are the three people that get any payroll from the church. We would love to have more. We'd love to be able to increase time and, and get other people on staff to focus more on ministry. Um, we just need to feel like the Lord is telling us to do that. Like we're not going to just start adding payroll because we want more people to do more hours. Like we need to know that's the Lord's leading. Okay. So three people in payroll. The next chunk. Oh, by the way, let me, let me go back to the facilities for a second. We pay just over $5,100 a month for this tiny little space. Ouch, right? And that's one of the cheapest places in town. We are currently in discussions with a real estate broker because we are in year five of a five-year lease. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more in a second. Um, so we'll see what we can do. Uh, whether or not we need to renew here or whether the Lord has something else for us. Well, we, we will renew here for a little bit. Um, we don't have a choice, but we're, we're looking down the road. We're looking ahead at what the Lord is doing. All right, so the next chunk, uh, both the yellow and the orange are the same size. It's missions and ministry. So missions, we include things like the missionaries that we support, those of you who know the Brays. Um, there's things in here like the money that we give to Vineyard Overall for all the different things that they do. Um, outreach, community life kind of stuff. Well, that's actually, excuse me, that's um, ministry. The, the Russia money that we give as part of the Russia partnership is in the missions. Anything that is like benevolence, people who cold call the church and just need help, we do that. We have a specific budget line item for that. And so we include that in missions because it's a local mission to our community. Um, the ministry part is the doing the stuff. It's all the outreach we do. It's the community life we do. It's the way that we pour into our kids and our youth, all of that kind of stuff. It's, it's really the core of what the church is. And so that's what goes in that chunk is anything we do that is outreach oriented, gospel sharing, discipleship kind of stuff. All right. The admin stuff, that's that little gray sliver. And I'm very grateful that that's not bigger than it is because sometimes that can get, if you have a really large church, that, that chunk can get really cumbersome. Um, I'm grateful that we don't have a whole lot that we have to put in admin. But the admin chunk, it's like the stuff that lets the other stuff happen, right? It's when we buy paper and ink and supplies to print out the kids' curriculum. It's <laughs> going to be a new laptop, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, or just something with a battery that works, my goodness. Um, sorry, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a laptop, actually. Um, it's the stuff to do the stuff. It's the insurance that we have to have, you know, on this building. It's the professional fees that I have to pay for the CPA, you know, that, that checks our books and that kind of thing. Um, any kind of stuff like that. The marketing and signage. I know marketing is like a dirty word when it comes to church, but like if we do any sort of promotion, let's say on social media to let people know about a special event we're having, 
that costs money and it would come out of out of that chunk. Conferences is that little blue slice that's 3% to the left. This is what gets us to things like the national conference, the regional conference, the youth conferences, the worship conferences, all of those relational things that we do to be a part of our greater organization. That's what that is. And then <laughs> that tiny little 0% sliver at the top is, um, is a uh, kind of a miscellaneous category that really is, we were jo joking about this the other night, it's a miscellaneous pastoral discretion fund. If we like just, it's like we really need to take somebody to lunch because they're having a hard time kind of thing or whatever. Um, I don't think, I think we've used this once. Not because we don't do it, but because we usually just pay for it because it's just our heart. Um, that's not to like say, oh, we're great or anything. It's just, but it, it, this is just money that if a pastoral thing comes up during the week that really we really need to, to help somebody out with, we have a little bit of, of ability to do that. It's only like $360 a year. <laughs> so, you know, it's not a ton of money. Okay, let's jump to the next slide. This is, a, um, this is what gets us to that budget, okay? So for 2022, the weekly giving needed to make our current budget is $2,769. So if $2,769 is given every Sunday of the year, we break completely even. Um, our actual weekly giving is over 3,000 right now. That's amazing. Like that doesn't really happen that often. Because yeah, <laughs> go Vineyard, yay. Um, because God is so faithful and he's used you guys and, and you are so faithful. And like, this blows my mind. Like, do you know how many churches would have loved to have this situation over the past two years? It just like, I, I am so grateful to the Lord um, for this. Uh, this has not always been the case. <laughs> Um, I need to back up just a smidge, and I'm just going to give you a real brief history of this church. The first, uh, what, two and a half to th three years that we were a church, we were a mobile church, and we met in all sorts of strange locations. We've met in barns, we've met in Victorian, um, you know, 1840s houses, we have met in cheer gyms, we have, we've met all over the place in our house to start. But in doing that, it allowed us to save up some money. Because we knew one day God was going to grow us to the size where we needed a home. You know, a family needs a home. And so we knew that one day he was going to bring us to a space that was going to be our space where we could expand our ministry. And that's what happened when we moved in here. Now, when we moved in here, that whole weekly giving needed to make budget was nowhere near where it is right now. But out of faith, we believed the Lord was leading us to do this this way. We saved a bunch of money so that we could jump to that controlled burn slide real quick. Whoever's got this, the, uh, it's that line going down. So when we moved in here, um, we, yeah, there's a green line doing this. Um, so th this was um, a slide I used a couple years ago. And this is the situation we were looking at. We'd saved all this money, but we knew when we signed the five-year lease at this building, it was gonna do this. Because it's so expensive here and we hadn't grown yet to the point that we could cover it. But this was, we called it our controlled burn. And we knew, it, we counted the cost, and we knew how much it was going to cost us to be able to be here, and it was in hope that the Lord would grow our family to the point that this burn would eventually level off, and it would be sustainable. Um, worst case scenario was this line to where right before our lease ran out here, or basically right at the, excuse me, I guess right after, um, we would run out of that, that savings. And so if nothing else changed and we didn't grow and our financial picture didn't change, we knew that we would not default on our lease. And that was very important to us that when we count the cost, we know how much it's going to cost and we're going to be able to do it right, even if we didn't grow. 
Um, the good news is coming out of COVID, this line has leveled off and that's amazing. We are no longer in this type of a controlled burn. If we were to spend all of the money that we have budgeted to spend this year, we would be in the red by only $10,000. Now, that may sound like a lot to you, but given that it has been five to six times that in years past where the line was this steep, that's an enormous improvement. And we almost never spend the full budget. Um, we're, we're, we're as cautious as we can in, in, your, in spending your money. And so often our expenses come in under budget, thankfully. And right now it looks like our income is coming in over budget and that is an amazing situation. And here's why. We've continued to grow. And we are again at the point where we're having to ask the Lord, what's next? Because our lease on this building expires December 31st. Now we know that we're gonna have to renew for just a little bit. We met with a, our leadership met with a broker this week. Um, there's just nothing out there right now that we can just move into that is affordable and suitable that wouldn't have to be built out or something like that. There are things in the works, there are things being built, but they're just not ready right now. And so we're gonna keep looking and we're gonna keep praying and we ask you to do the same because we're at this point of faith again where God, what are you doing? Um, if you go back in our kids' church some days, like we are like squeezed in there like sardines. We want space to minister to our kids. You know, we don't have to have anything big and fancy. We don't have to have the best. We don't have to have a fog machine and lights. And we know that we're not a good fit for everyone and that's fine. Our back door is open as well as our front door. But it, the wrong reason to lose people is because they don't feel like there's space for them here. And we wanna make sure that when people come, they feel welcome and like there is space for them here. Which is why I'm so big on you guys like scooting forward and, and towards the walls, you know, to make it a hospitable place where it feels like there's room for whoever comes in so that they are welcomed until God shows us what the next thing is, what the next place is that we're gonna go to. We don't know, but he does and it's okay. And my type A planning self is trusting. <laughs> and the broker made a joke about, yeah, the first time I met Leah to look for spaces over in the business park, I knew exactly what I was dealing with. Cause I know like everything in town that's available and how much it costs and what the lease term is. But God has got this and he is going to lead us just as he has every single step of the way. When we moved into this building, guys, it came down to the week that we had to be out of our mobile space. He has provided so beautifully for us and he will continue to do the same. We just need to trust him, continue to seek him, pray about these things, please. All right. Uh, what else have I not told you? So our reserves have stayed fairly steady. And that's good because we are again saving up for whatever it's gonna take for us to move into a new space. There is going to be build out cost. This was a physical therapist office before we moved in here. So this whole big room already existed. There were just some doors here. This door didn't exist. We had to put this door in for fire code. We had to bump. The reason that the front door is recessed in that weird way is because it was a fire code. And we just shifted some walls back there. And just that tiny bit of work was 40 grand. And that was before the supplies were so expensive. So we know it's gonna take a good chunk of money wherever we go, but we're trying to save and count the cost again. All right. Um, what else? What other uh, slides were on there? Any? Yeah, I think I did. We had the controlled burn. Um, you know, COVID, again, just thank you, Jesus. COVID was such an enormous unknown for so many churches. Do you know how many churches closed in 2020 and 2021? It's heartbreaking. Um, 
But I, I believe not that we survive because we're anything particularly special or great or whatever, but we've tried to do things in a way where we listen to the Lord of how to operate and he protects us. It's like the story of Joseph in Egypt. Remember that? There was the seven years of famine and the seven, excuse, other way around, seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine and how he spoke to him and said, stock up during the first seven years so you'll be ready for the second year, se second seven years. And so not only you'll survive, but you'll be able to provide for all the, the places around you and bring glory to my name. I kind of feel like God's done that for us. Like, do this the way I'm telling you to do it, not the way necessarily that all the other church systems, marketing, whatever stuff tells you to. Follow me and I'm going to provide for you. So that's where we are. Uh, 2022 total budget. So this is the number that that pie chart's based off of. Um, 155,000. That's our, our estimated income for the whole year. And I mentioned the 10,000 short. I'm very hopeful, guys. And I can't help but be just because how amazing God has been to us. We've been here seven years. Our first year was a mess because of the closing of our sending church. And then we had two years of COVID. That can throw anybody. And yet God has been so good. And all of you are here and we've got all these amazing kids back there, you know, and the teens are doing great. And I, I'm filled with so much hope and so much joy and so much gratitude for what the Lord is doing here. So I join me in, in thanking him and praising him and in seeking him for what's next because we want to follow his plan.